Uh, the reading can be found, if you have a pew Bible, on page 1028. It's uh, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, reading between verses 21 and 40. Luke 2, 21 to 40, Jesus presented in the temple. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Your word, and that we will expect you to do new things in the year ahead. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever heard somebody say to you, what are you waiting for? Um, you might just be standing around gazing when you're supposed to be getting on with something else and someone says to you, what are you waiting for? Um, I wonder if there isn't a sense in which we all feel as though we're always waiting for something. 
You know, when you're young, you're waiting to be grown up and to leave school and then to complete your studies and then to get the promotion that you want and then you're waiting for the right relationships, perhaps, or to have children. And then when the children are little, you can't wait for them to be a bit bigger because <laughs> hopefully they'll be a bit less hard work. Um, and we're always waiting for the next thing, sometimes with great anticipation, because this is going to be lovely, and sometimes when you get to our age, you're sort of waiting to see what's going to happen next with perhaps slightly more trepidation. But there is a sense in which our lives are lived with a forward trajectory, um, which is interesting because so is the Bible. The Bible has a forward trajectory, oh, I can't say it now, trajectory right from the very beginning. And... In that sense of moving forward, there's also a sense of recurring newness, which perhaps we've lost when we think about our own lives. And yet we do want things to be different, don't we? This is the time of New Year's resolutions. My New Year's resolution is not to make any more resolutions, um, <clears throat> because I found it doesn't really work. And yet, we love the thought, don't we? I love New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. There's this feeling that, yes, we can actually make a fresh start. We actually can diet. We actually can get up early to read the Bible every day. We can do these things. We want things to be different. In my day, and right even into my children's day, really, the nicest thing about going back to school in a new term was a new exercise book that didn't have any crossings out in it. I think with a Chromebook, it's probably not quite so straightforward because you can correct as you go. So perhaps, I don't know, I shall ask my grandchildren at some point, but perhaps you've lost that sense of how nice it is to have a brand new exercise book. But we love the thought that we can actually get rid of the crossings out and the things that had to be tipexed. Did anyone remember tipex? Um, and it made a terrible mess. Uh, we want things to be new. And you know what? There is a lot in the Bible about waiting for God to do what God had promised and what God has promised was good. Abraham waiting for a son and for the promised land that God had promised him, prophets. In the Old Testament, prophesying deliverance in a political sense, a return from exile, defeat of enemies, but also somehow a second level, if you read any of the prophets, that there was also some long-term plan that God had um, and that this also was a plan for deliverance. And then, of course, there was the Messiah. And they waited, and they waited. Someone said to me this morning, in the end of Revelation, it says that Jesus is going to come again, but generations have gone past and he hasn't come. Is he still going to come? And I wonder whether they felt a bit like that about the coming of the Messiah. There'd been 400 years before Jesus was born when there hadn't been a prophet. No one had said anything. The last one, Malachi probably, or possibly Habakkuk, um, had said things. And then there was this gap. Where was God? Was he ever going to do what he'd promised? I love Habakkuk, actually. We're studying it in home group recently. And there's this lovely bit where Habakkuk says, I'm going to stand there on my watchtower and I'm going to watch for God's deliverance. And I will see what he will say to me. What's he going to say? Expectancy. What's God going to do? And do you know what he comes to at the end of that same chapter? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And right at the very end of that chapter, it's Habakkuk chapter 2, 
The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. If ever we needed to say that in the world in our time, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. The Lord is in his holy temple. There is something worth waiting for. So what are we waiting for? What do we long to be new? How expectant are we? Or how just resigned? It's always been like that. It's not going to change. I've always had those feelings of inadequacy or anxiety or resentment or guilt or whatever. That's just who I am. It's never going to change. And yet, you know what? I've had a very strong feeling over these last couple of weeks when I've been starting to think about this um, passage that God wants to say to us here at Emmanuel, not just as a church, we've thought about that quite a lot over the last few weeks, but as individuals, I want to do something new. God will do something and we can wait expectantly. Now this story that Chris just read to us from the New Testament is actually a very low-key, intimate sort of story I mean, you sort of couldn't make it up, could you? It's one of those stories which, for me, just resounds with the authenticity of Scripture. You've got these two people who no one had heard of before and no one ever talks about afterwards, Simeon and Anna, just happened to be in the right place at the right time and were there and recognised that this baby, who probably looked very much like any other baby, was the one they had been waiting for. It's a very interesting story. There are at least four sermons in it, um, but I'm only going to do one of them. Um, Jesus was taken to the temple. Why? He'd been circumcised. That was the first thing that had to be done according to the law. And given his name, the name that the angel had said he would have, Saviour, Jesus, that was powerful. And then they went to the temple for what was called the, the ceremony of purification, where the firstborn had to be given, as it were, symbolically to God. I guess in a way we do that when we baptise or dedicate our babies. We say, this baby is mine, but actually I want you to be in charge of their life and to enfold them with your love. And it was a bit like that. And they had to take a sacrifice. And if they were poor, like Mary and Joseph, it wouldn't be a, a cow or a sheep, it would be two doves. And they must have been quite poor because we're told they took the two doves. And while they were there in the temple... These two people, we don't know how old Simeon was, we told him he'd been waiting for a long time, so he probably wasn't that young, but he wasn't, might not have been as old as Anna, we don't know. But they were people who were waiting, who were expecting something new to happen. They were almost on tiptoe with it. Something was going to happen. And for Simeon, he was convinced by the Holy Spirit it was going to be in his lifetime, and that he would see the Messiah of God. They were waiting for God's big event that was going to change everything. They knew that there had to be a new way forward for the world and for individuals. And so Simeon was a bit like Habakkuk. He was stood on the watchtower waiting to see what God was going to do. This kind of anticipation. God, what are you going to do now? And then he knew that he must expect what he called the consolation of Israel. I wonder what he meant by that. Was it still in the kind of political, someone who's going to redeem Israel from the Romans and from all their enemies? Or did he have a deeper sense that there was something bigger going on here? I don't know. 
But there was something a lot bigger going on. Because he also said that this baby was going to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. The whole world was going to be blessed through this one little baby. Brought probably something around six weeks, but someone might correct me over that, um, for this ceremony of dedication. He also could see in the face of that little child that there was going to be more than just joy. That this new thing would also only come through suffering. And we had sung for us beautifully at the carol service, Thorns in the Straw. I don't know if anyone was here. It was just so lovely. But it just reminded us that the coming of Jesus was for the joy and the consolation of Israel, the redemption of the whole world, the wonder of God's new future and possibility made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet it came through suffering. Suffering for Mary, Simeon said, a sword will pierce your own heart also. It must have done as she saw him crucified. And it would come through suffering for Jesus. And then there was Anna. I get the feeling that Anna, for all that she was 80-odd, um, was a bit feisty because we're told that once she'd seen Jesus, whereas Simeon went away and thought about it, she was leaping around telling everybody, good for her, I say. Um, which just goes to show that being in your 80s doesn't mean you can't leap around and tell people good news. Um, that's a little message to some of us. Um, so here was Anna telling people what she'd seen, her baby. And yet the consolation of Israel, the one who was going to be the pivot point, the kind of central focus of all that God had intended from creation through to the creation of his ultimate kingdom of justice and goodness. So what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, I think we learn about waiting expectantly. Some things we know from scripture we can expect, like the second coming of Jesus, but by it, it doesn't all seem a long time coming sometimes. And I had a lot of sympathy for the person who said to me this morning, is it ever gonna happen? Because most of us know that for most of our pre, um, forebears, their coming to Jesus has been them going to him rather than experiencing him coming to them. And I don't know, I don't know what's gonna happen. None of us does. Jesus said, no one knows except the Father. But we do know that one day we will be in his presence, one way or the other. And that's something we can be sure of. But how expectant are we? Are we like Habakkuk? Can we say, well, it's going to take a long time, but I'm going to wait because I know that something's going to happen. So how expectant are we? Are we resigned? And do we grumble a lot because we're resigned? Well, the trouble with me is I've always been like this and... I always this or that, or the trouble with him is he's always this or that. I've told many times this lovely story of the sixth former. I was ahead of sixth form for quite a long time. I had a sixth former who was always late. And I got him into my office and I said, why are you always late? He said, well, the trouble with me is, miss, I can't get up in the mornings. So we had a conversation. Um, there was a point at which I actually turned up on his doorstep and funnily enough, you know, he could get up in the mornings if he had to. It was amazing. Um, new things can happen. And if there's something in our lives that we think we would love to change, well, that's not going to change, is it? I wonder whether we can come to God this new year and trust him that he is not static. God is not conservative. 
God has said in Isaiah, for example, I'm going to make everything new. Forget about all the past things. I'm going to make rivers flow in the, in, in the dry valley and water in the wilderness. So what's your wilderness right now? And can you believe that even after years and years and years and years, God can do something new? You see, God is a, a moving God. That's what Simeon and Anna had got. This is not how it's going to be forever. We're on tiptoe waiting to see what God's going to do next. Meanwhile, while we wait to see what that's going to be, God is the God of our journey. He's the one who wants to walk beside us. And just his very presence will transform everything, even those things we thought could never be transformed. As we look at the future, there will be changes. For all of us this year, there will be changes of one sort or another. Some will be good ones and some will be difficult ones. But in Jesus, God has shown himself to be the saviour, the one who lifts us up, walks beside us, and wants to constantly surprise us with his gifts of love and mercy, even in the midst of dark places. Will he be the consolation? Lovely word, not just the consolation of Israel, but the consolation of you and me. The consolation, walking beside us, even when times are difficult. Will he be the answer for us as we face the future? It may not be easy. It wasn't going to be easy for Mary, and it certainly wasn't going to be easy for Jesus. And yet the outcome was eternal life. The life he came to offer was a restoration of life as it should be. The light and the glory of God in the very everyday of everyday people. So how can we move on with God this year? How can we do it expectantly? How can we get to know what it means to know, as Simeon now did, that God had not stayed in heaven or even inside the walls of the church, but that he'd come to offer himself to us in all our doings, our comings and goings, our every day, to make us new. And so it is possible. Perhaps on this New Year's Eve, if you've got a little bit of time, perhaps, who knows, not if you've got a big party tonight, but um, if you've got a little bit of time, Let's bring to God a prayer for the world and let's confidently say, Lord, let it be different. Let cruelty give place to justice. Let poor diplomacy give place to wisdom. Let the suffering of innocent people stop. Let aid go into Gaza. Let there be something new so that even in a few weeks' time we can look back and say, thank you, God, you did something new for our benighted world. And there are new things happening uh, that's a whole other sermon, but there are things, aren't there, you know, to do with trying to protect the environment, with trying to be concerned about those who are suffering in bad places. But let's ask God to do more. But what about ourselves? I wonder if there's something that we've given up hoping will ever change. It might be something that holds us back from our past experience, a resentment hidden, not usually there, but just somehow colours who we are, victims rather than children of God? Is there something about fear or anxiety? Is there something about our low self-esteem or our unwillingness to, to believe that God could actually do something big in us? Whatever it is, 
It's, there are a whole load of things it might be. But if you get that time today and you pray for God to do a new thing in the world, shall we think of something that God could do new for us? And I, here's a really big challenge because I'm not even sure I'm going to do it myself. But if you've got somewhere you write things down, or perhaps even the front page of your Bible, write down one or possibly two things that you would long for God to change this year out of his mercy and his love and his grace. Ask the Holy Spirit, like Simeon did, to show you what that might be, and then claim it. Lord, you can do great things. You are the consolation of Israel. You are the one who can do new things for me. You see, and this is the third thing, we've had waiting and we've had expecting. But you see, Simeon was very Holy Spirit aware, wasn't he? I don't know how he knew that the Holy Spirit had told him that he wasn't going to die till he'd seen the Messiah. That was a pretty big thing to believe, wasn't it, after 400 years? And he believed it. And a challenge in this passage for me this year is to be much more Holy Spirit aware. Again, I'm back to Habakkuk. I don't know why he kept popping up every time I was preparing this sermon. So, um, but he said, I will listen to what he will say to me. I'm not very good at that. One of the things I would love for God to change for me over this coming year is that I will listen. I will listen to what he will say to me. That means if I'm going to listen, I've got to shut up. I'm not very good at that, either here or in, in my prayers. Um, but let's say that one of the things we want to do today is to listen to what God is telling us he wants to change do you know what? You've always been like that, but I want to change that for you. I want to give you the confidence to get out there and tell people about your faith. I want to change you from someone who is risk-averse to someone who is brave. I want to change you from someone who has just that echo of victimhood in your brain to throw it away and know that you're a loved child of God. God can do new things. Another lesson, which is perhaps one that we don't take so seriously, is the importance of religious observance. Here were Mary and Joseph. They'd had angels. They'd had all kinds of declarations. They were very, very special. And what did they do? They did what ordinary Jewish people did, and they did the right thing. They went with their doves into the temple to make a sacrifice. They weren't above it. This ceremony wasn't an odd intrusion, but an expression of their commitment and of the assumption of the lives of very ordinary people. Do you know what? We're not very good at that now. We tend to think, oh, well, I'll do it if I feel like it, but I don't feel like it, so I don't think I'll do it. And yet, God has given us many ways of anchoring our human faith, our, our Christian faith, into ceremonies and events which somehow hold it together. I'm not going to say that a daily quiet time is a law, but it does help to anchor your faith into certain things that you always do. Coming to church is not a law. As people often say to me, you can be a Christian without going to church. But actually, without that discipline, that sense of, yes, this is what we do next, this is what God requires of us, whether we feel like it or not, is a way of anchoring our, our Christian lives. And that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. Just one of the things which would have filled their lives with reminders of God 
They would have had the Sabbath on a Friday. They would have uh, the meal on the, you know, Shabbat meal. Um, they would have had Passover. They would have had the tabernacles. They would have had, you know, all the various things that kept, they wouldn't have done if they didn't have faith. We don't have many of those. Let's hang on to the ones we've got because they are really important. Let's be disciplined. Bring God into our every day. Greeting the morning with a prayer of praise. Thanking God for our meals and our things that he gives us. Coming to church. Recognising in this new year, not just the bells of Big Ben and the glass of champagne, which I'm really looking forward to, um, but also a prayer of dedication of our lives to God. And finally, the importance of words. We are reading now the words that Simeon spoke 2,000 years ago. Those words were important. Our words are important. When we talk to our children, our grandchildren, the people we work with, I wonder how often we say things that they will remember. I'm very conscious of that with my grandchildren, that we have the only banter of every day, but just every now and again to put in a little something which says God loves you. God has a purpose for you. So this new year, we have a priceless offer from God. And our opportunity is to respond afresh. What is God doing in your life? Where is God at work? Where does he want to be at work? What does he want to change? And what can we do to cooperate? I'm just going to... Um, to say a prayer now, which is based on the Nunc Dimittis, that prayer of Simeon, but it's sort of a bit more up to date. Lord, you send me now in peace into all that lies ahead. For my eyes have seen and I have understood that you have given me salvation. I am saved from sin and from a life lived without you. I have your offer of life now and I will not be afraid because you will be with me now and into life beyond this one because I know your purpose is for everyone. I will be brave for you and faithful for you in the years ahead. Amen. Amen.